Well, last week, um, I kind of started the message, and uh, the title of it was When a Physical and Spiritual Need Collide, and I said there would be a subtitle, would be The Primacy and the Power of the Word of God, and that's pretty much what we're going to focus on today. Uh, Without getting into a lot of review, I decided the best way to review is to read the story again. So we're going to look in the scriptures, starting in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, verse 1. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1. The words will be on the screen, but I encourage you to use your Bibles or your electronic devices, whatever you use. And, I, and last week, if you were here, you remember I, I said to try, to try to look at this as the first time you've heard the story. Many of you, it is the first time. Many of you have heard it so many times. And last week, I asked you to imagine yourself there. Let your imagination put yourself in this story. And we are going to look at the primacy of the Word of God. We're going to look at some of the characteristics that I believe we can see of Jesus in this story. And then we're also going to look at those four friends one more time. Starting in verse 1. And when he, meaning Jesus, had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. In other words, Jesus had been traveling about Galilee doing all kinds of amazing things. Primarily teaching, but also healing, casting out demons. And he comes back and he made Capernaum his home base on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. These are the religious leaders. Reasoning in their hearts. Better word might have been criticizing him in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about the things, these things, in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your pallet, and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he arose immediately, and he took up the pallet, and went out in the sight of all. So that they're all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And then it says, Jesus went out again by the seashore, and all the multitudes were coming to him, and he was teaching them. If you um, didn't hear the message last week, I would encourage you maybe to go online and, and just to really get into the story looking at it, and there's so many 
emotional elements to it, but I, I want us to really focus on the power of the Word of God and the primacy. The, the Word of God is number one with Jesus. If you've been reading along in Mark at all, looking at it, just in the first two chapters to where we're at, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says this, And John was put in prison. After John was put in prison, John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee. Thank you. If you were here for Sunday school, you know I'm probably still a mess. But proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus was teaching. He came to teach the gospel message as it was at that time, that the kingdom of God is coming. In fact, it is here in one sense with him. He is standing before them. He was proclaiming the word. In Mark 1, 21 and 22, it says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Mark 1.27, the people were also, also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He gives orders to evil spirits and even they obey him. The word of God being spoken, being taught. In Mark chapter 1, um, 20, verse 38, Jesus replied, And I mentioned this last week. He had been doing miracles, signs and wonders, healing, casting out demons. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. The people are chasing him down. They're trying to find him. And here's what he says when the disciples come and say, where are you? They're all looking for you. Jesus says to them, let's go somewhere else. Let's leave. Let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I came down. I came to preach. I came to teach. I came to share the message of the gospel of the kingdom. That's why I came. In Mark chapter 2, verse 13, once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. The verse I just read from our section of scripture. And that brings me back to verse 2. So many had gathered together at that house. There was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. He preached the word, he preached the word, he preached the word, he preached the word. The primacy of the word of God. It's an amazing thing when we grab a hold of that reality and then we begin to understand and believe that this is the word of God. God has given it to us in the Bible. He's given us his word. So many times I find myself thinking this, I hear myself saying this, I hear many of you saying something like this, oh, I wish God would speak to me. Then it's reminded, here it is. You want him to speak to you. We have to open it up and read it. And his Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you. You might say, I've read a lot of that already. Read it again. Every time I read a scripture, like this simple story of the paralytic, it's like the Holy Spirit reveals more to me. And he'll do the same for each one of us. But we want to hear the word of God. And it's amazing how he can take a word of scripture that you may have read before, you may have heard a hundred times before, and all of a sudden, that day that you hear it or you read it, it speaks directly to a need in your heart. And the Lord speaks to you. And he speaks to me. We have it. And we have access to it all the time. 
And so much of the world would give almost anything to have what we have in our Bibles, in our homes, because they can't get a hold of them. And if they do have one and they find out about it, they get arrested or killed. The Word of God and the primacy of it. Jesus came to preach the Word. In this story, the title was A Physical Need and a Spiritual Need Collide. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I just want us to remind ourselves again, in this story, when they came to him, these four men, carrying the paralytic, when he came, there was an obstacle before them, the crowd. They could not get him to Jesus. The physical need was obvious. He's paralyzed. This issue, this need that he had, this is something that impacted his life for as long as we can tell from the Scripture from his youth. He's been paralyzed. It was an obvious need. And when he finally gets the men tear the roof off, lower him down before Jesus, he comes down at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he looks at his friends, and he says, your faith is such a wonderful, beautiful thing. And then he turns to the man, and what does he say? He doesn't even mention healing in the physical sense. He says, your sins are forgiven. And we talk about a spiritual need and a physical need colliding. Jesus shows us, I believe, that the spiritual need is far greater than any physical need that we might have. Whatever physical needs we walk through in this life, and as I'll share a little later, they don't have the final word. Jesus has the final word. The spiritual need is always ultimate in all of our lives. And the reality is all of our physical needs ultimately do come from sin. Not that you've got this disease or this sickness or this issue because you're filled with sin. But in the, if we take it back, everything was perfect until Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And one day all of that will be taken care of. And we are going to have glorified bodies. And we're going to live in the presence of God forever. That's the final word for all of us. So what I want us to look at, and we talked more about that last week, but I want us to look at, first of all, some of what I see as some of the characteristics of Jesus that's revealed to us in this short story. Now, you could call them or name them different things, and you might find way more characteristics of him. But the first one I want us to point out or look at is Jesus has the ability and the authority to read our hearts. Does that scare anybody besides me? He has the ability and the authority to read our hearts. He says these words, Son, your sins are forgiven. And he turns right to the scribes, the teachers of the law. They know something here, and they were right. Only God can forgive sins. They were right. But what they didn't understand was God was standing before them. And he read their hearts. Without questioning them, he sees their hearts, he knows their hearts, and he knows our hearts. What's in our hearts? What are we thinking we're hiding from the Lord? He sees our hearts. He sees it all. What are your hidden motives? You know, you can do some wonderful things for other people, and if your motive 
is self-satisfaction, recognition, etc. It's sinful. Wow, that hurts, doesn't it? He knows my motives. He knows the real reason in my heart of why I might do or say what I do and say. He knows your secret thoughts. Boy, I'd sure like to pull the veil over some of my thoughts and my thought life that the Lord would not see them. They're not very pleasing to a pure and holy God. He knows our very thoughts. And if you think you have any hidden behaviors that he's not catching that no one else is seeing yet, you might be half right. No one else may know it, but he does. He knows what's going on in the dark, behind closed doors, with another group of people versus this group of people. He knows all of these things. Nothing in our lives is hidden from him. I want to read a scripture that's not going to be on the screen. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of our soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God itself can do that as the Holy Spirit quickens it in our life. And then in verse 13, he goes on and said, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to give account. Those can be scary words. That there is nothing. You or I can hide from him. He can see our hearts. Second characteristic I see here is that he has the authority to heal sicknesses and do miracles. I like that much better than the first one. How about you? He has this authority. When Jesus speaks the word, paralysis disappears. When he speaks the word, leprosy disappears. When he speaks the word, demons flee. When he speaks the word. When he speaks, a power is released from his word. Jesus has the authority to heal, to cast miracles. When Jesus speaks, and we won't go to those stories, even death obeys. Lazarus, come forth. My daughter, arise. Death responds to his words. Amazing. And it's the craziest thing when you think of he gives us authority to speak his word. It's not in us. It's not in the volume of our voice. It's in his word. And he's given it to us. And even promises to give us the perfect words for every occasion if we just hear his voice. Isn't that amazing? The word of God. He speaks. Demons flee. Sickness goes away. Death itself listens. None of those things have the final word. Now, I hope we get that as believers. 
But there's a reason the world lives in such fear and anguish about so many things. Sickness, fears, anxiety, depression. Is this how it is? Is this the way I'm going to live my whole life? Is this the end? Is this all there is? No, Jesus has the final word over all that. Unless he comes back, this is his revelation to no one, I hope. Unless he comes back, we are all going to die. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Doesn't that excite you? We're all going to die unless he comes back first. That's why he says, your sins are forgiven. Because that's the first important issue. Jesus has the final word. If I die in a car accident, the car accident doesn't have the final word. If I have a heart attack today, the heart attack does not have the final word. If I get cancer and die of that cancer, cancer does not have the final word. If I'm oppressed and depressed, depression does not have the final word. Jesus has the final word. I am going to live for eternity in the presence of God, rejoicing with the angels in a glorified body that will have no aches or pains and I'll never shed a tear again. Oh, that's good. That's good. Hallelujah. <laughs> but do we believe it? That's the key. Do we believe it? It's got to be received by faith. Oh, God. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. This is the third characteristic. And the most important one, really. This is the greatest need we all have. Every human being ever born. This is the number one need ever. I have a sin issue and I could do nothing about it. And you may be a lot better person than me, but you have a sin issue too and there's nothing you can do about it. Unless, unless we embrace what the Word of God tells us about what Jesus did for us then we have the solution to the sin problem. Jesus came to meet the ultimate need. He spoke about it, taught, talked about it, and then he demonstrated it through his death, his burial, and resurrection. He has the authority. You know, the scribes, and again, imagine, I don't want to be one of the scribes, but imagine being one of the scribes. You have been a protector of the law. You've been one writing and rewriting the law. You've been the one teaching the law. And all of a sudden, you hear this guy from Nazareth, nowhere. I mean, he, that, you could have just as well been from Balatim. That's how big a deal that is. From Nazareth, of all places. Can anything good come from Balatim? Well, yes. Yeah, come on. Amen. Some of you are from this little town. The rest of you going, nope. I remember high school. Nothing good comes out of Balatim. It's all about Russell or Tyler or Tracy or Marshall or Slayton. Can anything good come out of this place? Can anything? Yeah, amen. Thank you. We'll figure out what it is someday. No, I'm just kidding about that one. They heard him say and identify himself with something that Jesus identified himself as more than anything else in the New Testament. This name, if you would, is used about 84 times in the New Testament. And 82 of those times, Jesus uses it to identify himself. And they didn't like it. What are those words? What's that name? The Son of Man. 
the Son of Man. Because when He said that, these scribes that knew the law, something immediately came to their mind and they realized what He was saying. In Daniel chapter 7, did I put this on there? Is that up there? All right. Dan, listen to this. I kept looking in the night visions. This is Daniel speaking. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days. That's God the Father himself. And was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, all the nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. When Jesus called Himself the Son of Man, those scribes shuddered and declared in their hearts, this is blasphemy. They were right when they said only God can forgive sin. And Jesus told them in no uncertain words to those Jewish scribes, you're right, here I am. The Son of Man is here. And it's so interesting that that's how Jesus, you know, in the New Testament, He is called Christ more than anything else. Then He is called Lord. And third, He's called the Son of Man. And all but two of those times, it's Him describing and identifying, that's who I am. I am God. The Jews understood it here. That's why they rejected Him. It was blasphemy to them. No one could call themselves or make themselves God. And that's the good news, the greatest news in the world and the good news of the Bible. God has not left sinners alone in this world that is filled with sin and with suffering. God Himself has come to us. Jesus' words declared Himself. We're not alone in the world. We don't, have to, we don't have to live with this fear of sin and suffering that the world lives with. It's the simple message. It's the gospel message. Hopefully it's a message we all know and we can all articulate. And I stress that we can all articulate. Because so often I ask Christians, if I'm not saved, how do I get saved? What's it take for me to become a Christian? And sadly, the good news is, I think most of the time they know, the bad news is, they couldn't lead me to the Lord any more than they can lead an elephant. Because they don't know how to articulate it. The gospel message that Jesus came is so simple. And this is what we need to understand in really our own salvation. That one, we're sinners. And Jesus lived a sinless, perfect, and holy life. Which is what qualified Him to be a perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice called the Lamb of God. And He went to the cross as a sacrifice in my place. I didn't have to do it. I couldn't do it. He did it. And He died in my place. Believe it or not, that's good news. Then the news even gets better because He didn't stay dead very long. He was raised from the dead. And He rose in victory over the grave, over death. And having done all of that, this is an important part of it, He offers every single one of us reconciliation through Himself.
we can be reconciled to God. The sin that separated us has been removed by Christ's sacrifice so we can have relationship with God once again. That's the message of the gospel. Isn't that simple? Simple for us to say, tough for Jesus to fulfill. But he did. Who has the last word? Not sickness, not disease. None of these accusations of the devil. Not even death itself. Jesus has the last word. Okay, I'm going to go to the four faithful friends. This is my highlight in the whole thing for me the first time, but hope you get a kick out of these four friends. I love these four friends. I want four friends just like this. These guys were amazing in what they did, their faith. It says in verse 5 that we read initially, when Jesus saw their faith, something about their faith triggered Jesus speaking the words of forgiveness. It's interesting to me that that's what it took because for each one of us to experience forgiveness, we have to have faith. We have to repent of our sins and have faith in what Jesus did for us. But these four guys bring this man. And it unlocks forgiveness from Jesus and also brings healing. The characteristics of their faith. One, and again, you can call them what you want, but I went with a confident faith. If only we can get our friend there. If only we can get our friend to the feet of Jesus, he will be healed. We've heard about it. Maybe they've even seen it. They are filled with faith. They know if I can get him there, something amazing is going to happen. I don't know how. I don't know why. But it's going to be amazing. They have a confident faith. I believe they also had a faith that was filled with compassion. Think about this for a minute, how much they must have cared about this man, how much they must have loved their friend. They were going to make complete fools of themselves. They were going to probably get yelled at by the crowd. You know, my goodness, they're going up on somebody else's roof and putting holes in the roof. I mean, if that's my house, you try that. I'm going to get a little upset. They were compassionate. Imagine this man, this this paralyzed man, laying on his mat, wherever that is, in front of his house, wherever it is, in front of the temple begging. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But imagine this man. Imagine you're that man. And you hear Jesus is coming to town. By this time, you've heard a little bit about this guy named Jesus. He's been doing some crazy things, miracles, healing, casting out demons. And you hear he's coming to town. And you can't do a thing about it. You're going to stay on your mat. You can't get to him. I have zero faith that I'm going to get in front of Jesus and he's going to do something amazing in my body because I can't get to him. And here comes his friends, these four guys. Instead of just running themselves to listen to these amazing teachings and watch what he was going to do, let's go get our friend. He needs to meet Jesus. He needs to know Jesus. And they, all of a sudden, a little bit of faith starts rising up on me as I'm lying in my mat. All right, thank you guys. There's a chance. I have hope. Maybe. Maybe. So my four friends, they carry me to the house and from a distance we can see the crowds gathered. 
And we come and, and all of a sudden, they won't let us through. They're all focused on, they want to hear Jesus. They want to see what He's going to do. It's all about themselves. Major obstacle in our way. I can just about feel my faith that went from zero to 25, 30, 40, going back to maybe 10. Thank you, guys. We tried. I love you for doing that. And then they said, wait a minute. There's a roof. Let's get up there. We're going to go through the roof. We are going to tear a hole in that roof, and we are going to take this pallet, and we're going to put some ropes on it, and we're going to let him down at the feet of Jesus, and it's going to be crazy. All of a sudden, my faith really, really starts to rise. I'm probably a little bit like, you guys, seriously? This is what you're going to do? But nothing was going to stop my friends. They love me. They know I need to meet Jesus. There's no other solution. They tear a hole in the roof. They begin to lower me down. The crowd's looking up like, what in the world's going on? I'm feeling a little bit self-aware, a little bit self-conscious. And my faith is rising. And I look, and I imagine... I imagine my eyes meeting Jesus' eyes. And all of a sudden, faith rises up in me. And then Jesus looks at my friends and he says, Oh man, your faith is amazing. Your sins are forgiven. I am at the feet of Jesus. They loved him. We don't know the names of any of those poor guys. We don't even know the name of the paralytic. But here we are over 2,000 years later talking about the act that these guys did for their friend. We need to have those kinds of friends and we need to be those kinds of friends. I'm pretty sure we all have friends that need an encounter with Jesus. And there's always obstacles. Which brings me to the third characteristic of their faith, creative that's maybe a little bit polite, a kind of radical, a little bit reckless. They believed nothing was going to stop them, and I don't care if I do look stupid. I don't care what you call me, you Jesus freak, you fanatic. I don't care what you do to me or say to me. I need to share with you what can happen if you encounter Jesus. That needs to be more important than all this other stuff. No obstacle was going to stand in their way. They were resourceful. Creative faith. Confident. Compassionate. And I think there was something about it. And if you're in large groups of people, experienced a little bit of it this week when we went up to the cities for the North Georgia revival. There's such a thing that faith can be contagious. I get around people that are filled with faith. My faith rises. It's contagious. And I believe the faith that these four guys, first of all, I believe the paralytic caught it. It was contagious. And I believe if there were probably any doubters in the crowd when they saw what they did and saw what Jesus did, it probably lifted their faith to believe for whatever they needed. Contagious faith. And then I want to just close 
with an exhortation for each one of us in the area of sharing our faith and evangelism. You know, we are called to make disciples. We are called to do this. We're called to kind of be like these four friends. What do we learn from this when it comes to sharing our faith and evangelism? I think first and foremost is that the Word of God is primary. The Word of God is primary. And that we need to proclaim it. We need to be bold enough to proclaim the Word of God. And to proclaim anything, you have to have it in you. I know you get tired of me saying this, but are we in the Word? Are you in the Word? Jesus says, I'll give you the words to speak. Just open your mouth. You'll be able to do this. I don't know enough. If you know something, He'll use it. To share the Word of God. The Word of God is what is going to change people's hearts. Not a powerful presentation or an articulate speech. Second, make the power of Jesus' love evident to a world that's hurting around us. The title of the message was When a Physical Need and a Spiritual Need Collide. God, look around us. The world is hurting. There's people hurting all around us that give us an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ, to meet the need. Meet the needs of the poor. Meet the need of that person who hasn't had an encouraging word spoken to them in weeks. Maybe they don't even remember the last time somebody came up to them, maybe put their hand on their shoulder and said, you know, you're amazing. I love you. Man, I saw you do this, and that was awesome. We have opportunities to love people, meet the physical need, and then we'll get the opportunity to address the spiritual needs. Proclaim the word. Love people. And then don't give up. Don't give up. How many of you, you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you have been sharing the gospel and praying for somebody for what seems like ever? And pretty soon they're not even on your prayer list anymore. You may have even been like me once in a while and said, that's enough, Lord. They've heard it so many times, rejected it, I don't even think they deserve it. I hope none of you are like me. But sometimes you go there. I get so frustrated. The answer is so simple to the problem that they're going through, and they don't want the answer. I want to encourage us. Man, these four guys ran into obstacles. They didn't let them stop them. They hung in there. Persevere, full of faith, what God can do, and in the power of the gospel. And I want to close with this scripture from Romans. We need to remember this. Romans 1, 16. I am not <clears throat> ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is the power of the gospel that will change people's lives. Who shared that with you? Who shared the gospel with you in whatever format they did it? Somebody shared these truths with you. And God, by His grace, moved on your heart 
and you accepted Christ. And all of a sudden, now I am cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. For those of us that can't quite picture what that means, that's like if God looks down at Mike, he doesn't look at me and point a finger and see all my sinful stuff. He looks at me and sees the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness that I receive by faith. And that's what he sees. I mean, how amazing is that? Want to get rid of guilt, shame, and condemnation? Embrace that truth. If you are a child of God, you are cloaked in the righteousness of God. No matter what that lying voice speaks into your ear, that's who you are. And in that comes freedom and liberty. And we as the church have the calling, the responsibility, and the grace to share that with other people. And we get to be part of what the Holy Spirit is going to do in other people's lives. Don't get discouraged. You can't change anybody's heart. Pressure's off. But they need to hear it from someone. They need to hear it from someone. Let it be you. Let it be me. Let it be us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we have looked at this story of the lives of these men, the paralytic and his friends. Father, I pray that you stir something in us to bring people to Jesus. That we would share the good news of the gospel. That we would do all that we can to create an environment where the Holy Spirit can change a person's heart. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here in this room listening to these words, if they have never truly accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, by acknowledging and repenting of their sin and receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that they would do that right now in the quiet of their heart, confess their need for a Savior that they might know Jesus in a very real way. So I pray, Lord, as we continue about our days and our weeks, we, we are continually looking for those opportunities to see the need, the paralytics, if you would. There's so many needs, so much despair, so much hopelessness. Let it never be seen in us, but may we always carry the love and the joy and the hope and the peace of the Lord, that we might truly represent Christ to the world around us. Pray you watch over us, protect us, keep us safe, all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.